श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय श्री श्री गौराधमाधव की जय श्री चैतन्य चरितामृत की जय कृष्ण रस कविराज गोस्वामी महाशाय की जय गौर भक्तवृंद की जय गौर प्रेमानंदेवनिंग सो वर डिस्कसिंग फ्रॉम चैप्टर एट ऑफ हरी लीला एंड as we heard yesterday that this chapter is to a large extent a confessional it takes a confessional type of uh uh form in which krishna's kaviraj goswami uh speaks about his life and the extension really of the blessing that he received from the tanandapu discussed in the 5th chapter of this Hari Lila that enabled him to go to Vrindavan what happened to him when he went there and as we heard from the um, introductory verse the sanskrit verse of his own composition what happened um he he alludes there to the fact that um a fool as he refers to himself uh, like himself yeah, can become a dancing dog under the by the mercy of Lord Chaitanya and uh, and write about him so he's going to tell about how he came to write about him in this extraordinary text Chaitanya Charitamrita but preceding that he is in the midst here in the early part of the chapter it's a short chapter um in the midst of a carry over from the previous chapter which is uh dealing with the panchatattva so carry over in that he continues to glorify the panchatattva and um we heard last night i think we concluded with the verse where he said that that uh, by their grace mukha kobita kore jan sabar smarane pongu giri langhe andadeki targane so by the grace difficult things become easy says a lame or person can what is big walk can climb a mountain and um one who's dumb who cannot speak illiterate as well he implies can become a poet and a blind man can see stars in a distant galaxy better than with the hubble telescope <laughs> so he's tried to give some examples to help us understand how he personally feels the uh what the influence of this fivefold manifestation of divinity the panchatattva a doctrine an idea perhaps begun by srup damodar goswami in fact his verse that the previous chapter is based upon in his explanation of is a verse uh, composed originally by srup damodar goswami so the doctrine within gaudiya vaishnavism of the panchatattva seems to have stemmed uh, from him and it's further played out here 
in this book and in this chapter, again, the carryover from the previous chapter and an ongoing and continued glorification of the Panchatattva Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Siddhaita Garadha Shiva Siddhiko Bhakta Vrinda. So he goes on, he says, Eshab Namone Ye Pandit Chakal Tasabad Bidyapata Bek Kulala. I think we might have read this verse uh, last night as well. He says, Eshab Namone Je Pandit Chakal. Those who are educated, uh, cultured people, and uh, and the very education that they learned people, culture, that education, and educated people who consider themselves as such, but at the same time do not believe in the statements This prophet kind of adds this in uh, the statements of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Namone ye pandit sakal. They don't accept what he said, really, uh, thus far. They are strong statements about the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, what they can do. I mean, he's obviously, we don't see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu turning um, deaf people into poets. We don't see him turning lame people into uh, track stars and so forth. He's just given these examples um, to, to take someone from this world to the Prajalila is certainly quite uh, uh, a uh, much greater of a task and accomplishment. And Krishna Das is considering himself um, in his humility. He, he really is the uh, standard uh, of humility in Chaitanya Charitamrita, a book in which, in the final chapter, as we know, where the Shikshastakam appears, Sriman Mahaprabhu does give a mandate as to the decorum of his devotees, and he gives the four regulative principles there, that you should be more humble than a blade of grass, more tolerant than a tree, expect no honor for yourself, and give honor to others. This is the decorum of the how the devotees should conduct themselves in the context of chanting, whereby, he says, quickly then, one will attain frame. Uh, hmm? So one has to pass through this or decorate oneself in this way. Um, so, the, and that humility is often highlighted. It's said uh, in Bengal that, oh, I wanted to be a follower of Chaitanya and taste the rod of prem, but then I heard this verse, that one has to be more humble than a blade of grass, and I knew it was impossible. Hmm? Yeah, so it's a big thing. Um, it's, it's small to be humble in comparison to the attaining of prem, but hmm, it's uh, part of the course and difficult for, for most people. Hmm? Um, but there's much, uh, of course, positive impetus for that and, and the example of Krishna Kaviraj himself is uh, considerable in this regard. Mm-hmm. If you have examples of persons 
Uh, it helps, obviously, and we don't meet him personally here tonight, but his writing really does, um, in, in certain places, give us entrance into a, a, a glimpse into what he's like, how he personally feels with regard to the humility that he is kind of the standard bearer, standard bearer, or uh, the poster boy for Ngodiya Vaishnavism. He had made the famous statement that, uh, um, that, that I, myself, am lower than a worm in the stool, and anyone who chants, who hears my name, um, loses their piety. Anybody who chants my name becomes impious. Hmm. Um, he really felt this way about himself. It's very extraordinary. Of course, it is part of the dynamics of the meeting, the union, the coming together of the finite and the infinite. After all, if we come in touch as finite beings with the infinite, we're going to feel what it's like to be finite in a way that we we could not otherwise, in the face of the infinite. Hmm. One feels um, small, and one feels also not only small, hmm, but one feels uh, the infinite, in this case, infinite love, infinite affection, and the capacity to reciprocate seems to be very limited in comparison. This is the real experience of making spiritual progress. I've given an example before that if you're out in Saragrahi walking around trying to figure out the whole place uh, and its various valleys and hills and so forth, and if you were to fall into an old well, you never know what you'll find out there. We found a still out there the other day for making making liquor. An old one. Mountain Dew, yeah. So, if you should fall into an old, dried-up well in the forest, covered by leaves, then how will you get out? Right? Because the walls are steep, there's nothing to hold on to. So, you have to chant, you have to call out in hopes that someone will hear you. And if they do, of course, they come and then they put together a rope and throw you the rope and tell you to hang on to the rope. So, you hold on to the rope and, and they pull you out. And when you get to the top, you don't say, Wow, I really held that rope pretty good, didn't I? Uh, that's not the experience. Although you did, you had to do that. You had to make that effort. But you feel only that you have been saved by someone. Hmm? So the point I'm making is that we do make effort. Effort and grace are both required. Grace is indeed the opportunity even to make an effort. Grace is required to have the opportunity before us uh, to try for, if you will, and try and of course, and you will be successful, um, even at first, if at first you don't seem to succeed. Um, so my point is that the effort uh, uh, never never comes even close to equally, I would speak, outweighing the result. This is the experience. So when you get this little glimpse of what is bhakti, even what is the atma, Hmm? Even what is the sattvaguna? Hmm? <laughs> a little real experience of sattvaguna. Sattvaguna, for example, is, example is, is knowledge. Sattvaguna, you can experience the self-realization is um, accomplished 
in sattva guna. Brahman realization, which is another thing, liberation, that's, that's transcendental, but even the, even the realization of the self, like a Socrates, he can do this in sattva guna. It's explained by Sanatana Goswami. He acknowledges this in his Bhagavatamrita commentary. So he, he acknowledges it in, the, in relation to bhakti. And he says, so even if we admit that you can attain self-realization um, without bhakti, so what? It's not a very big thing anyway. <laughs> it's no big accomplishment. It doesn't even free you from the cycle of birth and death. That, that means you have to attain Brahman in the least, Brahmasayuja. And that requires some element of bhakti. And that's a small thing. Liberation is a small thing. Speak of self-realization, even. This is a very peculiar, um, yeah, if you will, uh, doctrine of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, one of the many peculiar. I mean, it turns kind of the religious world on its head over and over again. Hmm? This is an example of that. It makes self-realization a trifling thing that is... Uh, it can be accomplished by the influence of sattva guna. And they give all the scriptural support for this. They're nana shastra vicharana ikanipuno saddharma samstapako vokanam mitakarano tibhuvane manyoshalanyakaro. I remember when I was very young and reading Prabhupada's books, and I would think, man, how many books has he read? He quotes all these books here and there. Hmm. This tantra and that sutra and this parana and and so forth. Later, of course, I realized that the harder work, if you will, was done by the Goswamis who wrote the original Bhakti Shastras and, and drew all these references from the entire body of the sacred text. I mean, their knowledge of it for bhaktas hmm, who are thought by the jnanis to be rather more emotional than they are intellectual. Um, their knowledge is considerable. I told a story how once I was giving a talk and there were some <laughs> some yoga um, students and whatnot, and uh, after the talk, one fellow said, you know, for a janana, you sure got a lot of bak- bak- bhakta. For a janana, you got a lot of bhakta. I said, it's bhakti, uh, but, uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah, so, and it's pronounced gyan, not jan- janana, something like So, uh, yeah, devotees, <laughs> they're not fools, is the point. Um, Prabhupada used to say, well, you think we're worshipping some stone after writing and reading all these, you know, these books? And a lot of them. So the Goswamis, they did this very hard work, really, if you will, academic work. Of drawing from the standard of knowledge at the time, and establishing their um, their position, which is really obviously um, the position. Of, say obviously, it's obvious because we've read their commentaries. The, the position of the Bhagavatam. And not how you could miss this. It's it's when you read it, you think how could anybody miss it? But we only see it because of the Goswamis. So many obvious things in the Bhagavatam. Like the very idea that the Bhagavatam is what they say it is, which is the ba- what the Bhagavatam says. Hmm? It's the last word of Vyasa, the final word. It's the book where bhakti 
is emphasized by the legendary, from the traditional perspective, author, editor of all the sacred texts, this is the text in which bhakti is emphasized in no uncertain terms, and that under the mandate, by the mandate of Vyasa's own guru, Narada, to make clear the efficacy of bhakti, that bhakti might be highlighted and it might be made clear that the only value in jnana, in karma, in, in yoga, is really only as much as they themselves are connected with bhakti. If you have, for example, tributaries coming from a glacier uh, on the Himalayas that uh, jnana and, and, and bhairagya, for example, yoga, they're like that. They're tributaries, but they don't have the power under themselves to reach the Bay of Bengal, to reach the ocean. But if they could connect with the Ganga, hmm, then it's possible. So Gan, Bhairagya, if they connect with the, harmonize with Bhakti, then they have efficacy. And uh, it might sound like a sectarian statement uh, on the point part of bhaktas, but it's very, very, very well um, reasoned and established, if you will, in terms of the standard of knowledge of the time hmm, on the part of the Goswamis. And therefore we call their original works often the bhakti shastras. I mean, you can't find a book on bhakti like Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. It makes the Nard Bhakti Sutras that Rupa defers to hmm, in his humility um, insignificant, really, in comparison to the depth to which Rupa Goswami has plumbed, you know, the ocean of Bhakti and Bhakti Rasa and and, and they come up to the surface to explain it. It's an extraordinary um, contribution. And this is what Vyas felt undone about, having compiled all the texts. And you know, you, you, you have the, the sections on karma, you have the sections on gyan, these are the two sides, right? For exploitation of the world, for renunciation of the world. One is overtly material, the other is overtly spiritual. The overtly material side is, the, is, the, is the, all the, you know, the, the procedures involved in material acquisition, elaborate as they are at, at times. And then the other side, you, know, you have, so have an obvious, if you will, materialism, and then you have the obvious, apparently obvious, spiritualism, where as much as, much as spiritualism is, spirituality is thought to be the antithesis of materialism, of which there is some truth. But, um, you know, there you have your naked sadhus and... Uh, and uh, they're wearing, you know, dressed in ashes, comparatively. And then you have this bhakti idea. Hmm? It takes a little bit to figure out, because it's not so flashy in either way. Hmm? In other words, hmm. karma is very flashy. There's a lot going on. There's something happening there. There's, there's buildings, there's people, there's excitement, there's restaurants, there, there, you know, there's a pizza place, you know. If your temple is, well, I'll give you an example. Of that. Yeah, it's anyway. It's it, it's it's flashy, and Gyan is flashy also. Oh, he's standing on one leg. 
Huh? He's standing for all this time. Here's whoa, you know, lying on a bed of nails. Bhakti is just like you know. You could you could miss it. It can be misconstrued for just part of karma. Hmm? A little upasana, like you worship different gods in the karma marga. You worship Krishna also, hmm? and devotees have things, and so it's therefore Vaishnava mukod harikatam. What is it? And there's another verse. Um, Anyway, Vignana Buddha, it's difficult to understand the motive of a Vaishnava, who is a Vaishnava, it may appear very ordinary. And, and what are we advocating, after all? Karma is advocating acquisition, exploitation of nature and so forth, and Gyan is advocating the, the, the re- renunciation Mm-hmm. And this is the two tracks on which the world runs, Bog and, and Tiag. And we're emphasizing service. Is that all? What do you get for it? Hmm? From karma, you get something. <laughs> from renunciation, you get something. Hmm? What do you get from service? More service. Hmm? I'm not sure I'm interested in that. <laughs> it's not very flashy. Hmm? To be, just to be to be a servant. Of course, it, never mind that it solves all the problems. Mm-hmm. The problems are the pursuit of things and the problem that results from pursuing, pursuing things that results in wanting to give them up. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you struggle to get something and then you, know, you have to try to keep it and uh, it's problematic. Mm-hmm. Gyanis, they don't want to have anything to do with that. So you, you can't give a Gyani new shoes. No, he won't take because he knows. At least in India, someone will steal them anyway. So if I forget them, I'll, get, I'll start thinking about them, and then they'll be lost, and then I'll feel upset, and so forth. So, um, so anyway, this is the world, right? It moves in this way, Bogantyag, Bogantyag. And so we try to acquire happiness uh, through acquisition, and then we try to acquire happiness by getting rid of the things that we've acquired or avoiding things. Um, but in service, properly understood, the problem is solved. Because in service, it doesn't matter whether there's, there's a, there's a, it's a rainy or a sunny day. It really doesn't matter. It's just another day to serve. Hmm? Please your master, that's what you do. That's all. Hmm? I've told a story. One of our workers in Madhavan, fellow was born there, Juan, he came to work one day and I had him digging trenches to bury water pipe um, the day before. I thought, that's pretty hard work, so maybe I'll give him something a little easier to do today. And so I said, Juan, you know, I'm going to do something a little easier because you were digging trenches. He, says, he said to me, it doesn't matter. He said, it doesn't matter. He says, my job is not digging trenches or, or picking flowers. You know, my job is pleasing you. That's what, that's, what it, that's what it is. If I please you, no. then that's all it matters. It doesn't matter if I, it's a hard work or, you know, or easy work. It's, it properly understood, the point is, it solves the whole problem of material existence. Hmm? Everything is then seen, every, every difficulty is just seen as another opportunity to, to serve in a different way. Hmm? So they have the service disposition, ego. And that is uh, basic to bhakti. That's why we say 
in consideration of the Varnashram, from the Bhakti perspective, the best position is the Sudra, because he knows, she knows, I'm a servant. Hmm? And you also have to say, put him, you know, serve Krishna. You've got the ego for serving the Brahmins, like, uh, nothing, do nothing. He's a do nothing. <laughs> it's a different way of looking at it, obviously. Hmm? Um, I'm just saying, from the point of view of the serving attitude, this, this is. And uh, so, bhakti, it's not uh, very flashy. We do bhakti for more bhakti. When the inhabitants of Vrindavan ask Krishna, what will we be in our next life? He showed, same, no difference. Hmm? You'll be in Golok with your cows. They were happy with that. Hmm? It's a lesson. Bhakti for bhakti's sake. Hmm? So, it's, uh, it's, it's not overtly, it doesn't stand out like karma or gown with its rewards. I, I've told the story how I was once in, in, in recent years in India and I had met a fellow, I hadn't seen him in a long time. He said, Maharaj, I, I, I understand you have ashram in California now. And I said, yes, yes. He said, where is that? In? I said, I said it's, uh, you know, it's in uh, Philo. <laughs> where is that? You know, so I said, it's near San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big city, you know, center there. Not really. I'm like three hours from there in the, in the forest, you know. But I didn't get into that with him. And he said, how many devotees do you have there now? I said, uh, three. And then he and he felt, then I can, he started to blush. And said, oh, I've embarrassed Marge. He, he really has a real small program there. It's nothing going on there, you know. There's no, like, there's not a lot of people there. Mm. So... And when you see this, once they get enough people, then people, all, all kinds of people, I want to be part of the group. Yeah. So the, this bhakti, see we come to bhakti from one of these two tracks, or a combination of both karma and jnana. We come and we carry those ideas, therefore Rupa Goswami has defined marginally bhakti as his uttam bhakti as what? Jnana karmadi anavritam. Hmm? Free from jnana, free from karma. But we see many devotees, they they don't understand this point hmm? very well. And and people in general, if something's happening, if there's a lot of devotees there, hmm? must be the place to be. Something happened, something has been acquired. They've got buildings, they've got properties, they've got people. Hmm? Or on the other side, you know, well, no, I'm, I'm living alone under a rock. I eat only Tulsi leaves on Ecodacy. Whoa! <laughs> Something's happening there, yeah. but uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so whoever bhakti is going on, big small, it's, 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 there's no, it's big, right? Purely, hmm? one of my god brothers once told Agni Dave, my friend, who's another god brother of mine, that uh, who was who was. Uh, Famous for opening this um, Govinda's restaurant. I think he must open maybe the first Govinda's restaurant, or they popularized it anyway, which is an idea that Prabhupada had wanted, uh, suggested uh, that there would be like reading rooms and and rest, rest, prasadam restaurants throughout the country, something like that. So he kind of took that to heart. And um, 
he was off in some distant place where there was no temple with the uh, society that he was officially um, a member of and who listed in their magazine his location. You know, we've got a temple here, a temple here, a restaurant here, and so forth. And so um, we were old friends, and he, and he, he I, I wasn't in that institution at the time, and I'm not now, but um, he maintained a relationship with me. And uh, in, indeed, I was traveling through his, the area, and he said, Marge, why don't you start a temple here? And so on the basis of his invitation, I, I did. And there was another, another temple, was not another temple there. So anyway, the word got out that he was affiliated with me and that I had to start a temple there. So we got a call from somebody in his institution. And um, he said that, uh, you know, we might have to take your name of your restaurant, your address, out of our listing of our, you know, locations. Hmm? And he said, you know, why would you do that? He said, well, you know, because the word is you're affiliated with that, the Maharaj, you know, Swami, uh, Swami Triparari over there. And um, so they had a little discussion. And Agni told me this, and he said that, um, he, you know, he, he said to the this other fellow, was a sannyasi, uh, that uh, you know he likes association, it's good. He's doing the same things that the other group is organized to do, and so on and so forth. What's the problem? And uh, and um, and uh, you know, we got some lame excuse, and and then uh, the fellow said, "Well, you know, anyway, he said something that effect. If he ever becomes big, you know, and really has a big thing or something like that, you know, then we might have to recognize him." And Agni just cracked up. He said, and he said, Maharaj, it's not about how big you are, it's how pure you are. It's, mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's like, <laughs> he had this like real cutting, just real like common sense, spiritual understanding. And then there was silence on the other end of the phone. <laughs> they didn't take his name out of the, out of the magazine, as it turned out. Hmm. So, um, I mean... That's not to say I'm a very pure person, but Agni has a pure heart, so he was thinking about that, me in that way. Um, but uh, at any rate, bhakti is uh, not so easy to understand, even for people who you know dress and decorate themselves as such. Uh, after compiling all the Vedic literatures, Vyasa was told by Nara, look, you haven't done it such a way that without... Uh, that, that people can't can be confused about what genuine, what the full plate, if you will, of spirituality is in bhakti. So, Bhagavatam, right? Hmm? He reworked the whole text. Samadhi Nara told him, go and sit, you're qualified in samadhi. And from there you write, and his samadhi is described in the Bhagavatam. Hmm? There, that the whole Chintabeda Veda comes out and so forth. And, so he wrote the Bhagavatam. And still, what we have with the Goswamis, of course, is they're drawing from the Bhagavatam and making this point that Nard told Vyas to make even more emphatically. What is the central position of bhakti? How liberation of any kind is only possible with an admixture, in the least, of bhakti. And what is the full scope of what can be attained by by uh, 
by Uttam Bhakti, Anuloid Bhakti. And to do that, they drew from so many texts. They were very, very learned. For 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 Bhaktas, they had a lot of janana, mm-hmm. right? So devotees aren't aren't uh, fools. Um, as Prabhupada said, I think I cited it earlier, we're not like worshipping a stone after reading all these books, and this is our conclusion, we're just going to worship a stone, you have to look at it a little differently. And this was, of course, this, the sacred texts of the Hindus were the standard of knowledge at the time. So, um, the Goswamis did their their work, and, and, and then some, and Srinivas describes him this way, and what was the what was the motive? Lokanam they had out of compassion. This is the way in which Sukadev or Sutta Goswami describes Sukadev. He tells the sages that Sutta says, Sukadev, my Siksha Guru, he spoke this Purana out of compassion for others with no personal motive. So, Lokanam Hitakaruno. Lokanam Hitakaruno. They, they cared for the people of the world. So, they made this effort, academic effort, to demonstrate hmm, what is bhakti. And then, in the context of that, it's very beautiful what they did because they established what is bhakti. Hmm, then, in the context of that, where bhakti can is, is most fully expressed in the person of Radha. Hmm, in relation to Krishna, the perfect object of love, differing, differing between Narayan and so many avatars and so forth on the, in, in consideration of rasa, rasa vichar. And then after having done that, in the way in which they did, if you look at it carefully, you, 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 you look at Krishna, keep looking, keep looking, and then you see, oh, there's someone next to him, that's Radha. Hmm? And that she becomes more important than Krishna. Bhakti to Krishna is more important than Krishna. Then you keep looking at Radha and Krishna through the eyes of the Goswamis. Keep looking, keep looking. Then you start to see a third figure. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The way they have explained the Leela in the center of the Bhagavatam, the Ras Panchajai, there you find the opening. You find the, 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 the Vrindavan landscape parts. Hmm? And there's another Leela inside of it. It's the logical conclusion. I mean, what I'm saying is they cited different scriptures and so forth to establish Bhakti and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. This is very academic work. And those some of those citations could be interpreted other ways, perhaps, but they, they really explained the psychology of Krishna hmm? with his inner and esoteric kind of... Um, um, how do you say existential crisis like questions of God it's an incredible idea hmm? and and there if you understand the purpose oh, there has to be another Krishna has to do something about it he he has to, he wants to understand by direct experience the love of Radha there must be another Leela hmm? So, a very extraordinary um, work that they did. Very subtly, they explained about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Your Krishna asked their followers coming out like, in like a needle, they went out like a plow, he's coming. Very strongly here. 
you'll see he's making statements about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, speaking the way the Goswamis never would, hmm? but which is the implication of what they have said. You know, if you're going to start a sampradaya, you have to see, well, you know, how you, how far you can go at the time. Hmm? So, again, Prabhupada's adage, in like a needle, it's a very small hole, and out like a plow. The two sides, make a big hole coming out. So that's what he's going to do here. He's starting to do it in, in this chapter. And um, he is, he has said here just now, he said that educated and learned people, hmm, they don't believe the statements of Chaitanya Charitamrita. And what does he say about them? That he, he says, therefore I compare them to croaking frogs. Hmm? <laughs> Not a very compliment complimentary person. He's not very... He tends to be much more gentle than Vrindavan Das, whom he will defer to in this chapter. His predecessor, who wrote the Chet, what was called the Chaitanya Mongol at that time, later was renamed as the Chaitanya Bhagavad, who is very outspoken hmm, in his language, while Krishna Das is the standard of humility, saying, as I said earlier, one who chants my name becomes impious. One who hears it loses his piety. Uh, I'm so low. And he actually felt this way. He felt humble. He had real contact with the infinite. He felt small in size and small in measure of capacity to, to, to give affection and love in comparison to, to Krishna. So he's very naturally, this is a natural result of one's spiritual progress, humbled and uh, and uh, and and at the same time, here in this chapter, he's speaking in a way that's almost like uncharacteristic of him, very strongly. But this is there's a but the, he has deep feeling behind this conviction. He's he's just passed through seven chapters of very uh, complex theological arguments and explanations and philosophy and a whole dissertation on Mayavad here, which is passed in chapter 7. Hmm? Oh, he's given, he, he's shown, we're not fools. There's educated people who don't believe these things. And he, we consider them like, like, like croaking frogs. Frogs croak, the idea is in the night, and they croak in the night and they invite the, you know, the snake finds out where they are as a result and then devours them. Or Prabhupada's classical doctor frog philosophy that, you know, one frog went hop, hop, hop to the ocean, came back hop, hop, hop to the puddle where the frogs were living and said, I have seen a puddle that is bigger than this puddle. And the first frog said, how big? <laughs> is it twice as big? No, no. Three times as big? Is it four times? No, you cannot measure it. It's immeasurable. I've seen the immeasurable puddle, and I've come back to croak about it, but I can't. my, my croaking will not do justice. And the other frogs just, croak, croak. You know, that's going to be a puddle so much bigger than the realm of my experience and so forth. So it's like, the idea is, it's like um, a modern educated 
person on the strength of their intellect alone, enamored by it, a slave of it, its limitations, thinking that they can master the the world, hmm, so to speak, only to find their other worlds inside of whatever black holes and universes and parallel, whatever they'll find out there. Um, intellect is a idea is a very, very small thing in the face of the vastness of the material nature. Bhagavatam doesn't get into describing material nature in any detail, but it describes it comprehensively hmm, as something that should be transcended. It should be invested in in such a way that it results in realization of the subjective element of you, of yourself, of consciousness. So, um, obviously we are theists and we speak about the immeasurable. And modern educated people who are not theistic, kind of what's being talked about here, are very fond of measuring. This is what science is about. Math is, is you know, for measurement, as described through measurement. So we're measuring the world, we get certain results by measuring it, and then we make conclusions based on the measurements. And um, because we get pretty good results, then we start to get really intoxicated about our capacity to, to measure. It's interesting to note, of course, the word, the Sanskrit word maya also means to measure. Hmm. There is something, the point is, that is immeasurable. And it's you even. You are immeasurable. You are the measurer. Hmm. The ruler can't measure itself, so consciousness is the measurer, hmm. actually. Um, but if it spends its time simply measuring matter, you know, some part of matter, you measure some part of matter, observe it, measure it, you get consistent data, and with the data you, you do something magical. You make a computer, a cell phone, you make a satellite, and, and all these wonderful accomplishments and so forth that uh, uh, um, lead us to the very inflated, intoxicated uh, notion hmm, that um, that we're arriving at comprehensive knowing despite the fact that we're becoming more and more dissatisfied as a, as a people modern people more and more I mean you look at the, you look at the country the they just all of everybody at odds with one another over the smallest things and somebody says something and they on the TV, and then they take it out of context and blow it up, and it's Kali Yuga. I mean, you can you can debate all you want about you know the empirical reality of the Kali Yuga, but at the heart of what it's described, how it's described, the age of quarrel, the hypocrisy, and so forth, it really fits the bill hmm, in uh, the times in which we we live, the time of argument. And, they say hypocrisy and so forth. Um, so, while the the propaganda, if you will, is that we're we're on the verge of knowing everything, hmm? we haven't 
got anywhere near the kind of knowledge that will inform the action that will make us perfectly happy, will make us feel that we don't need to know anything else. This is the idea of bhakti. The kind of knowledge you get is the knowledge, the knowing, the knowing this. There's nothing else that needs to be known. There are many things, factoids that you could figure out and ways in which you could manipulate the material nature to accomplish this, that, the other thing, but all of it pales in comparison to just knowing what I am. Hmm? As a unit of the, of the, of, from the measuring world hmm? that can't be itself measured, quantified. Hmm? This is, a, uh, this is this the, big, the, big, the beginning experience from, from, from Bhakti. Hmm? So this is what he's saying here. It's a very, um, it's a very, really, I mean, he's saying it in a very kind of crass way, <laughs> but it's a very good argument. And we see people, it's, it's unfortunate, it's very painful. I'm not the dumbest person out there. And uh, I see people intoxicated by their intelligence. I find it very, it's very painful and very, very, very unbecoming. Hmm. It's such a small thing. And to, and to think, You've sorted through Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You know, it's really, this is what he's saying here. This is deep, really deep stuff. And you can have a superficial understanding of it, get involved on a superficial level, not have really perhaps a teacher that can take you deeply into it. The teacher should take you into it in such a way that you always feel like, whoa, it's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. There's always something. Not like, I, got, I know that, 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 okay. Hmm. But we keep the, the tradition alive and compelling and so forth. I mean, it's an exciting journey. This is, and it's, as I say, many traditions stop where this really begins. We have just relegated, and based on the sacred texts, self-realization to the sattva guna. <laughs> Tell it to the self-realization fellowship. Autobiography of a book, well, <laughs> of a yogi, <laughs> of a yogi, hmm. some kind of yogi. But yoga is not for Kali Yuga. There's a prophet would say, why are you doing yoga? Hmm? It's Kali Yuga. And he would say, yeah, that's true, it's Kali Yuga, Kali Yuga. And, and according to the sacred text, Nam Sankirtan is the way. This is not like our sectarian idea. When Mahabhava revealed when, when he spoke to Prakashananda in the previous chapter, Prakashananda said, Lee, look here, sannyasi, what are you doing? Sannyasi dharma is to study the Vedanta, and you're singing and dancing. He said, well, you know, my, very nicely he told my guru, told me I couldn't study Vedanta. He told me just to chant the Krishna Nam and Krishna Mantra, and this is what happened to me. I went mad, and I, you know, I dance and fall on the ground and so forth, and and they were attracted. He created a teach, teachable moment, and... And uh, then he began to explain, of course, <laughs> what should have been so obvious to Prakashananda. It's Kali Yuga, the Yuga Dharma, according to all the text is uh, Nam Kirtan, that's what we're doing. What are you doing? Hmm? Studying the Vedanta. What Yuga are you in? Hmm? <laughs> it was the kind of the, his response that he gave. And very nicely, very humbly he did it, hmm? in a very unassuming way. Hmm? So, um, 
Yeah. Self-realization. We, we, we say it's a, it's a small thing. Hmm? Comparatively, obviously. And what to speak then of material accomplishment. Um, and, and we, you know, also obviously, we are Vaishnavas, we live in the world, we appreciate the accomplishments of the technological world to a point. We, we bow to them to an extent, but we have another altar. Hmm? Uh, and it's not on our altar. We, it, it, we, we concur with it. We find things in it that sometimes can be used to make arguments for our own, own case. And sometimes we'll dismiss it as an overall approach to arriving at comprehensive knowing. And that, in our estimation, is the kind of knowing that informs action. All action is informed by some type of knowledge. So the kind of knowledge that informs action by which one becomes actually perfectly happy, content, hmm? and feels, I don't need to know anything else. What kind of knowledge is that? That, that you could, you know, that the, all the gizmos and gadgets of the world that make life easier, they're all relative to our bodily or, uh, and psychological orientation. Hmm? And they have no, uh, no, no purchasing power, no, no, no interest for um, those who have internal life. And internal life, take the internal life. I mean, we were talking about the other day, if... if Someone can make the argument that, okay, so you got this internal meditative life, right? And you're exploring some and experiencing some dimension of consciousness that ordinary people are not. Um, but what you say it is, you think it, you, you've experienced that you're eternal, that you will survive death, and so on and so forth. Well, you know, we just don't buy that. It's okay that you're having a deep experience, but but from our point of view, I heard this one fellow say, we tested this yogi, he was living in the cave, you know, and, and there he was, living there for 30 years, with no need to go anywhere, seemed pretty happy, hmm? pretty content. Of course, he didn't know what was really going on with him. We put things on his head, then we could figure out what was going, this was happening, this was happening, this was happening. And I was just chuckled when I heard, you don't know what's really happening. What is it? Get, get in and have the experience. Hmm? So you can make light of it and try to reduce it hmm, to something less than what the person who experienced it says it is. And you can say, how can we trust your experience? It's not something that can be proved objectively. Hmm? And um, not too many people are having it that we could get some intersubjective, you know, cross-reference that she's experienced it and he's experienced it. Maybe we can gather a few mystics and okay, but but still, how do we know what you're reporting isn't just a hallucination? Well, that's fine. You can make that argument. You can re we could reply. That's fine. You can make that argument. But how do we know that what you're experiencing? You hold the whole basis of modern science is it proceeds on the basis of a faith that there a belief that there is an external world to poke around in and to examine. You cannot demonstrate that conclusively. You cannot empirically prove that there is an external world. There's the famous story of Berkeley. You know, Berkeley Bishop Berkeley was the famous idealist who you know 
if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, how do you know? And I forget the guy who was was arguing with him, and he got so ticked off at the end, he just kicked a big rock and said, like, as if to say, see, there is a world out there. Ouch! And he hurt his foot, and he, you know, and Berkeley just went, it's your imagination. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you can't, anyway, the point is, it's a, it's a belief. It's a belief. Modern science proceeds on the basis of a belief that there is a world out there. Hmm? Now, that aside, meditation proceeds on the fact that there is an experiencer. What you experience may not be provable, or it may not be true, hmm? but the fact that you experience, that can never be denied. Hmm? I mean, how can you deny that you can say the words there's no experience, but I mean, <laughs> it doesn't. You can say a square is, uh, you know, is round. Also, but it doesn't make any sense. Hmm? One cannot deny experience. It's the it's the basis of of reality. Hmm? When um, I said it before, when uh, Bertrand Russell wrote his famous uh, explanation of matter, hmm? he came to the conclusion: the only thing we really know is our own consciousness. That any, anything's even out there, we don't really know it in a definitive way. So the whole scientific edifice is based on this belief. It's funny how they turn things around, right? The religious life and the meditative life is based on the faith. It's actually based on, it proceeds on the basis of the reality, the fact that we experience. What we experience may be false, but that we experience is not false. Hmm? So we should have a technology for pursuing that, not for denying it, trying to reduce it to a world that we can't even prove exists the physical world. Hmm? And, anyway, even if you could demonstrate that the mystic's experience is all in their head, hmm? right? Still it's the most desirable thing. In other words, if there is only a physical world and it's just happening in the brain, you go through all this trouble to meditate and start to think that your eternal and feel like you're eternal, and you start feeling love for all beings, and you become compassionate. What an illusion. And, what a, <laughs> and you become compassionate, kind to everyone. You have no needs. You have no economic you know, problems. You have no problem with the environment. You're not taking from it, or in such a limited way that, it, that, that there's, there's no question of it's not, of it's being exploited and ab abused. Uh, overindulged in, political problems are solved. I mean, it's truly, economic, political, social, environmental, all the problems are solved. Um, he loves all beings. Uh, I mean, isn't that what everybody's trying to arrive at anyway? By different methodologies that in and of themselves don't even say that they could really a attain that, but to whatever extent they do, they're virtuous. Everybody wants their kids to be a sadhu, really. And then we take some discipline by the way which they become fair, they learn to be fair, to be honest, to be kind, not to steal, and, and all these things, and all these impossible things to do perfectly. The mystic does this. And so even if it's only in your head, <laughs> it's still the best head space to be in. <laughs> 
and it solves all the problems of the world. So there's really no getting around it. Hmm? And of course, um, if they were to prove, right, it's only going on in the brain, then we'd say, okay, well, we, you know, it's a pretty good, you know, it's the best space to be in. And there's Krishna Leela's there. It's as real as anything else, hmm? <laughs> which is all in your head, right? Which is their <laughs> their argument, right? They're all in your in your brain. So. So point here, as we're just going off a little bit, but this is not a, some, a doctrine that's not well thought out. Hmm? And as far as internal life and ecstasy, there is no one religious figure in the world hmm, whose example exceeds that of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And that's not a sectarian statement. I mean, you can read, you can study about the, the Catholic saints and so forth, and I don't want to take anything away from them. Buddhist mystics and uh, the Sufis and so forth, they're all extraordinary people um, of, of, of great uh, significant uh, experience. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, what, their, what, what the eyewitnesses are saying, nobody says that. Hmm? You, 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 the, the Goswamis took bhakti hmm? and then then they played out what is bhakti to its fullest measure, and they come to the Mahabhav, Madanakya Mahabhav of Radha, and they find that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the embodiment of that in this world, and they're trying to explain what, what, what that is. And, and you know, the bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is a whole, you can use a word, ecstasy, and then you want to say, if somebody says, Have you ever tasted ecstasy? You say, Well, which kind are you talking about? Anubhavs, uh, Sattvika Bhavs, uh, Stai bhavs, uh, this bhav, that bhav, you know. <laughs> is it bhava bhas you want to talk about? Which type of bhava bhas? Chai bhava bhas or uh, you know, this, cha- this type of bhava? <laughs> like, whoa, you know. It's, it's like somebody says, our guru is 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 is, is um, incarnation of God. We say, which kind is it? Is it Shakti Besha avatar, Gunavatar, Lila avatar? You know, you go on the whole, whole, this is the Goswami's you know, contribution. It's immense. Their knowledge, their fund of knowledge is, is super extraordinary. And as I said, that's how we got off into this topic. That, you know, reading Proverbs books, I thought, holy cow, like, how many books has he read? Where did he get these references from? Later on, I realized the Goswamis did the hard work, Prophets, of course, reading their books and quoting them, and as he should, carrying on the tradition and so forth, accurately, as Krishnadasa is here. Hmm? Every chapter he's praising the Goswamis, everything is coming from them. He's citing the verses in the way they translated them, the way they understood them, the way they explained them, and their own verses, and so on and so forth. Hmm? It means that these young girls, this is what we're talking about, Vrindavan, Radha, milkmaidens, apparently uneducated girls of Vrindavan, not even old enough to be very educated, right? The handmaidens of Radha, in Vrindavan, this is how they're portrayed. Hmm? Right? When they come here, hmm? in Sadakadehas, as Rup, Sanatan, Raghunadas, Shijiba Goswami, Gopal Bhatta Goswami, hmm? what kind of knowledge they have? Pujapachita Marsh gave an example. The United States is the largest military industrial complex in the world. During the Cold War, it was a question of who had more missiles and whatnot than, than armaments than Russia or America. So during the, the 
the national holidays, the Russians would have parades with missiles and tanks and showing the force of their armaments. And in the United States, when they have festivals, well, there's music and bands, and you, know, you never see any any guns or you know tanks, missiles, and so on and so forth. So that was their power, hmm? the United States's power, that they ha- they didn't have to show them. They were all kept in, kept away, hidden in hidden caves and places like that, in order for the peaceful commerce uh, exchange amongst people to go on. Hmm? They were fully. They were so protected that they didn't have to flash these missiles around and say we're strong. You know, they had them hidden, and the people just going on as if they have you know no army. You don't see them anywhere. Where's the army? You know, you see army guys and it's, you know in a uniform. It's a it's a rare thing. When was the last time you saw a soldier? Yeah, the airport somewhere passing through or something, but not very often, right? Hmm? Right. So. But 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 the point is, if the country is attacked, boom, they come out from everywhere. All of a sudden, they, you know, there's martial law, and they're, they're everywhere. So he was explaining, Brindaban is like that. In the grains of sand, there is more knowledge than 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 you know every university put together hmm, could come up with a million to the millionth power. Hmm? But it's all in the background, it's in the ground, the knowledge, because knowledge is an opulence, an aishvarya, and this is a madhurya, a sweet lila. So the knowledge has to be subsumed under the influence of the love and affection. Therefore, Krishna can be unknowing. Hmm? Unknowing. Does Radha love me or not? Some unknowing. Is unknowing is, is a greater knowing than the omniscience of Narayan. Hmm? It's a greater knowing because that unknowing is more pleasing and knowledge is going to be valued on a scale of in which we measure the extent to which the knowledge, again, informs action by which we become happy. Hmm? The unknowing of Krishna is making him so happy. Hmm? The more he knows, the more alone he is. Hmm? The less he knows, the closer he can get to everyone. Hmm? Hmm? This is the Vrindavan Leela. So close to him, everyone. And so knowledge has to be totally suppressed and put in the background. But if the young girls from there who love him so much, hmm? if they come here in Sadaka Day, as we see, oh, they have so much knowledge. Their knowledge of the sacred text, which is the standard of knowledge, is immeasurable. It's 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 it's, it's staggering. Hmm? They're not jnanis, they're bhaktas. Hmm? Point is, and Krishna is making this in a rather crass way by saying there are educated people that don't believe in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but I consider their their talks like the croaking of frogs only. Hmm? But there's he has reason to say that he's not a fool. I mean, I said in the uh, he's a, he's a he himself is a scholar. This is a scholarly book. And it's not just, well, he only knows Bengali, doesn't know Sanskrit. Obviously, he has his own Sanskrit compositions. He's, he's did a Sanskrit commentary on Gobindalila, on, 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 excuse me, Bhiva Mangal Prakur's book, Krishna Karnamrita. He wrote the Gobindalila Amrita. I mean, he is a, 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 
a great scholar himself, by the stand, a theologian of the times. Hmm? And he believes in these things, what Raghunath Das Goswami wrote in his notes and his prayers about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? The power of the Panchatatra. He's experiencing it. Hmm? And so he makes a strong statement, but you have to understand the background. Hmm? From where he's standing, he is standing on the shore of a kind of knowing hmm, that has the capacity to make one so happy hmm, that, as I say, all the knowledge of the material world uh, put uh, multiplied a thousandfold. It just looks like ignorance to him. It's the apara vidya, whatever. The, it's it's it, it's not making anyone happy. Yes, what are you talking about, Swami? You know what the duration of life is in the United States now? Hmm? Well, for some middle-aged white people, it's not so great, I've heard, but um, Arsh was telling me. But <laughs> but overall, you know, over the last century, lifespan has been extended. Hmm? So people aren't happy. They're happy. They've got a longer life. Hmm? <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> Yeah, extending that. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu lived for 48 years. Shankar lived for 32 years. Hmm? Jesus was not an old person. Hmm? Length of life. Hmm? 34, he was Jesus. Hmm? How happy they were. How happy they were. They didn't need anything. They were only givers. Givers. Hmm? How, happy, how full they were. Hmm? It's the quality of the life. And what is the quality of the life? If it's based on the idea that by material acquisition, the acquisition of material knowledge by which we can acquire more more things, um, that we become happy. It's not happening. It's not happening. More information, more details about how nature moves and so forth. We're using this just to counteract Problem: create more sunny days, less rainy days, you know, solve the drought, this, that. I mean, these things are at best going to make you bodily, you know, comfortable, uh, relatively speaking, a more easier lifestyle than a sustenance, you know, hunter, gatherer, struggle. True. Hmm? Now they said the first thousand year old person has already been born. These are the, the claims from some, some, some of the medical uh, quarters. Just see. And Krishna is saying, listen, tell it to Brahma, okay? A thousand years is like nothing. And by contrast, hmm? He says, look, Thousand years, good. Well, Brahma lives a thousand times a thousand times a thousand years. Hmm. And even if you don't believe he lives, you don't believe in Brahma, he says, what I'm saying to you, you can live as long as a Brahma. Hmm. The number exists, and you can live that many years, and, and it's not going to save you from dying. Hmm. And then you're going to say, I don't know, you know, if I want to, I wish I could die, and now they fix me and I can't, uh, and I want, I want to get too much, uh, who knows. But 
Krishna said, but, but Punarjana Manabhadyate, Mahamupecha, but come to me, you never take birth again. There is such a thing as eternity, and you can experience it. And this is no big mystery. People now, what is his name, that um, commentator, he's, uh, um, he liked to do interviews, like interview the, who is the, Bill Moyers, yeah, there you go, Bill Moyers. He said that the the challenge of the 21st century is to define the spiritual. What is spiritual? And I'm thinking, it's been defined a long, long time ago, Bill. <laughs> and, it, and, and let me give you a basic description, that everybody who has seriously, uh, in the history, seriously, I mean, seriously, taken to some form of sadhana hmm, worth its salt, its ego-effacing, has had experience that they are eternal. Hmm. This is the beginning. This is, this is the beginning, that I'm eternal. Now, you can't say... What can you say about that? How can you... Hmm, like one of my godbrothers, Gopal Bhatti, you know Gopal Bhatti? He said, yeah, I saw him, I don't know, a decade ago. And, I, I, I trained him up years ago, so he was always appreciative. He was a hard one to work with, but, and he knew it too. So we had a fun relationship. But um, he told me, he said, Maharaj, he said, you know, I know that I'm eternal. I know that I'm eternal. I could appreciate it. He said, but now how do I know that Krishna is God? So I, I, of course, I gave him an explanation. He did, he did appreciate it, but... I appreciated the point he was making. I, I know that I'm eternal. I mean, I've had the experience that what, that I'm eternal. Hmm? So, the, 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 sat, jit, ananda. We've been saying it for for thousands and thousands of years. And these terms are not like relative to a particular culture or a sectarian perspective. They really do very beautifully define the basic nature of the Atma and of the Godhead. There's a fellow a Christian theologian. What is the name of his book? The God Experience of God, experience of being knowing, and bliss, or something like that. Hmm? So he came to the conclusion that the best generic, you know, terms or description of God is what the Hindus have come up with: Satchit Ananda. Being, knowing, the nature of consciousness. Being here means not subject to transformation, not subject to death or birth and so forth. Anyone can experience this, right? Have you experienced it? You know that you're eternal. There's a kind of knowing. What can you say to people? I mean, how can you even talk about it? Is it just going to nod and go, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. That's good, (laughs) and it's good. And this is just, just a little... A little glimpse of this makes the whole world seem very pale. All its colors, it's just, they, they pale. Hmm? They're like watercolors, and it's raining. There's hmm? some tears of what it means to know I'm eternal. Hmm? If you knew the extent to which you existed, then all fears, all anxieties, hmm? and washed away forever, and you just begun your journey into Chaitanya Charitamrita. It is Chaitanya Charitamrita, hmm? the mortal nectar of the character, the character of the, the uh, of, of consciousness. It's just not like it's it's just 
doesn't die. But <laughs> that's just like, well, that's just the beginning. So much more to be said. And he knows this. Hmm? And his deity, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this is his book, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, the immortal, the, the nectar, immortal, the nectar, nectarian character of consciousness in immortality. The fact that it's immortal is just the beginning. Hmm? What is its character in immortality, its nature, the possibilities? This is what his deity embodies. Not just this basic idea there's a difference between matter and consciousness. So much more. He knows this. He has he and so he's trying to shake us a little bit and 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 and, and share his faith with us. And he does it in a rather rather crass way, he says, What yeah. For those who think they know something, but they don't believe in Shaitanya Mahaprabhu and what I've said about him thus far. I said, he says, I think that's like the croaking of frogs only. Hmm? Yeah. You might want to think, oh God, this guy's too much. What? He's, he's insulting people. Hmm? There are so many educated, thoughtful people. You're going to be weighing in on what life means. And you, you know, are so proud to say you know so well that you could call them all just croaking frogs. Hmm? Of course, his example is there as a person too. That might be worth... Examine. He's not. He's not just speaking. He's walking. What he's talking about, and his example is extraordinary. He humbly, he's telling, gives us a glimpse into his life. We'll, we'll hear something about it. Hmm. So, hmm. from from Bhava, he's he's speaking, and he, he thinks material knowing is is. is Ignorance to see somebody, you know, you, you, you have to understand. Intellect is not the way to go there. It, it has its place. It has to be used, but it's not the vehicle for going. If you try to enter transcendence via the intellect, you will be repelled. You will be repelled. And it's very unbecoming to see someone think they've thought. For me, from my perspective, think they've thought through Gaudiya Vaishnavism and. and uh, and I don't figure it out. And on to the next, you know, what's the latest in physics? It was Millimore, a little deeper than, you know, some old dusty book from 500 years ago, and poetic book. So we differ. We agree with Krishnadas here. So we didn't get too far in the chapter here, but I mean, it's a strong statement, it requires some, <laughs> some explanation. <laughs> Called educated people croaking frogs. I mean, when they hear Prabhupada say that, they go, oh, wish he hadn't said that. This is not going to go very far, and we live in pluralistic times now, and you know, let's all be friends. Everybody's got some knowledge. Of course, and there are, you know, I mean, we wouldn't, I wouldn't say it like this. We're here together. He's saying it. I'm trying to defend him, but uh, there are other ways to say the same thing. They're a little softer, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, we end up at the, same, at the same place, at the same point. Material knowing is, is ignorance. It's not, it's not making people happy. So, any question? Yes, comment? With regard to that statement, I mean, it's not anything different from what we hear in the Bhagavatam. Compared to the Bhagavatam, I mean, he says everything else is like a 
place of pilgrimage for the for crows, mm-hmm. which is just a nice name for a dump. Yeah, it's a dump. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're 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 they they have um, they don't mince mince the words. Is it? They're very yeah. They're very blunt. All right? yeah. Yes. Um, when you were speaking the other day on um, Sridhar Maharaj's Parents' Day, you were um, explaining how Srila Prabhupada really set the foundation for Radmar by explaining Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, mm-hmm. really bringing that home and bringing that home. And as you were speaking, you quoted a Hamsarvasya Parvara, and the way you started to say it, I thought you were going to explain it in a Ragmark, that verse, in a Ragmark kind of way, because of maybe the Baba in the last line, but then your thought went somewhere off and you didn't follow Yeah, well, the verse says, you know, Krishna's saying, I am the Supreme Personality of God. Everything comes from me. Narayan comes from me. Everything comes from me. So... He says, basically he says, knowing this, then one is in a position to engage in a kind of bhajan, hmm, practice, by which one can know know me as such, hmm, experience me as such. So, excuse me, Sridharmarsh translated the second line, third line there, or you can say Buddha Bhava One has, one gets the kind of Buddha, kind of knowing, samvit, Buddha Bhava Samanvita, by which I could be known as such. In other words, the ironic thing is to know Krishna through bhajan as the Supreme Personality of God is to not know that he's the supreme personality of God. That is the kind of unknowing on the part of the bhakta that constitutes more comprehensive knowing than the knowing, for example, that Narayan is God. So if you have this in place, who, who, who Krishna is, he's saying, I'm Rasaraj. So he, 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 if, you have to, if you want to give completely, you have to have a source that will take completely. Krishna is the person that can take. Narayan can't take in the same way. He cannot take different t- approaches of love um, in the same way that Krishna can to the same extent. So understanding him as such, then obviously what that's the divide, if you will, between him and Narayan. There are other possibilities you know, and in any, any of his avatars. Sakirasa, Matsalya rasa, Madhurya rasa, these are only possible with uh, with 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 Krishna. These are this this constitutes uh, kamrup and samandarup bhakti. Hmm? So that's why I say that is a foundational point, a philosophical point that needs to be in place in order to proceed on the ragmarg, hmm? in which in due course, through which in due course, then the philosophical truth is overridden by the sentiment that arises from knowing that I can give myself 
fully here and give in the ways that that arguably transcend reverential love and then the fact that he's the personality of God, the supreme personality of God, recedes to the to the background. Those that's the beginning of the Chaturshloki of the Gita, which 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 where you find Raghunuga Bhakti there. That's the first of the four verses. And he explains Tushanti Charamanti Cha later as it goes as it proceeds. He explains Samandanuga, Samandarupa and Kamarupa Bhakti means Vatsalya, Dasya, Sakya and Madhurya, all of which you know you find in, in Golok. Hmm? So it's so that's brief. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's a big topic, but we've we've gone for quite a length tonight, so Tomorrow is the Govardhan Puja. Shigaraj Govardhan Maharaj Kijai. So we'll have a somewhat of abbreviated program in the morning. After Mangalartika, I'll read from Shidamarsh's explanation of what he considers the key verse from that chapter. Chapter hmm? chapter describing the Govardhan Leela, and then um, head to the pasture, I guess. All right. Shichetana Chaitanya Panchakopatru Deskata, Sindhu Vyeva, Chapati Tanam Bhavanibhu, Vyeva, 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 Vyeva,